As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm Ian Irving and with us today are Andy Mitten and Carl Anker. We're recording a little later than planned because there was some scheduled maintenance work on the skyscraper that Mr Anker lives at uh, and he was informed by the concierge that there may be an internet outage for a period of time. Now, unfortunately, the internet outage didn't come to pass because the people who arrived to fix the internet uh, needed extra support. It's such a big job. Carl, what on earth would you have done up in the sky without the internet? Who knows? You just simply can't find the help nowadays. I'm aghast, aghast at the quality of my skyscraper at the moment. Um, no, I'm joking. There were quite a few <laughs> very panicked influencers and or entrepreneurs sat outside a lot of coffee shops in and around uh, Manchester Library this morning, which uh, brought a smile to my face. I've been writing a piece on Ralph Ragnick. Uh, tethered to my phone this morning. So hopefully Athletic subscribers can enjoy that for this weekend. And famously as well, you struggle for phone signal up in the sky too, <laughs> don't you? So I imagine the jeopardy involved in that was quite something. Andy, have you got anything to comment on this? I know you're a fan of skyscrapers. We've seen your uh, literature on the subject in the past. How far can you see, Carl, from your skyscraper? So I am pretty much close to Manchester Library and I can see the Pennines. And what about on the other side? Sense. Can you see like Snowdonia on a clear day? <laughs> unfortunately, 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 I can see the Etihad pretty much at all times. And if I twist at a certain angle, I can just about see Old Trafford as well. Have you ever been in like where the clouds so low that you're just above the cloud? I have had that moment. Yes, I have. Really? I reckon tw- 20 years ago, um, Fabian Bartes moved just to where your, your towers are, just just to the left of it. Yeah, it was on Dean's Gate. And yeah. I'm not that bothered about him. Elinda Evangelista, who was one of like the world's most famous <laughs> supermodels, she, she came before her time because she could have been a neighbour of yours. I'm sure she would have been in one of those towers if she came um, years later. I did have one moment recently where I was in the lift and a uh, person came in, was talking to, to their friend about their plans for the evening and made it very clear to this person, oh, and you need to go get your suit. Uh, and the person went, oh, which one? And I sort of absolutely went, ah, sounds good. A man can never have too many suits. And then I looked up and I realised the person I was talking to is a current Premier League football player. 
And I had that sort of moment where I'm sure, Andy, you have this too, when you walk past a football player in the mix zone and you remember how tall and how lean they are in real life compared to how they look on television. Carl's got a point. When you look at these people uh, in real life, they, they are elite athletes. They've basically got to a level where they're playing in the best football league in the world. You can always tell by the necks. They're training every day and they're ultra fit. I'm not really good with faces. I, I wish I was. I'm, You're better with necks, are you? I'm, I'm decent with necks. I could tell like... I'll get myself in trouble if I say that. Um, but I can tell a good neck from a bad neck. I did once let on to Sean Ryder in Piccadilly Gardens, though, and I didn't know Sean at the time, and he just came past. He went, all right, mate. I went, all right, mate. Decent and, neck, uh, neck. Yeah, he had a decent neck, Sean. And then um, a few years later, they played a gig in, in Barcelona, and a, a couple of the lads in the band are United fans, so I was charged with taking the Happy Mondays for a night out. <laughs> now, that is like nailing... Um, jelly to a wall <laughs> and not only that there was a bar in Barcelona called the Manchester Bar uh, which was a tribute to Manchester music it was brilliant a Catalan and a Chilean guy owned it and I took the Happy Mondays into this bar and the guy who owned it it was like his, his dream had come true so Bez walks in with Sean and his decent neck and um yeah, I, uh, compared to the Happy Mondays on the night out, I would definitely say I'm the lightest of lightweights. Uh, <laughs> I was well out of my depth, but I reckon everyone would be. Absolutely. What an amazing tale that is. So what happened? What did you do? They knew I was in, in the city where they were about to play a concert, and they've obviously thought, we need we need a local person here who can help them out. So I met them and I took them for a night out, and uh, it was great. They, they, were, they were good lads. Gary Whelan is a big Manchester United fan and he's the lad I, I knew best out of the band and then the next day they played a concert in Razmataz and I said to Sean if you say a little bit of Catalan the, the locals will absolutely love it and he went well I don't know any do I and I just said right just say Bon Bonanit right good evening so he went you're gonna have to write it down so I wrote Bonanit on, on, a, on a piece of paper for him and, and he still got it wrong <laughs> he sort of walked out and he walks out and he's like Buenos dias or something like that in Spanish. He got the language wrong. He said good morning. So I'm clubbing with the um, with the Happy Mondays. I've got a few other ones of uh, them, but I'll, I'll I'll tell you them another time. Rangers did a Manchester United last night, Carl, didn't they? Getting beat in the final of the Europa League. We didn't even get to see a mad, which uh, I'm not going to lie. Considering the recent social media activity of Manchester United's website when Ajax won the Eredivisie title, I think there were some United fans that were going to call it the uh, the claiming treble. So I think some United fans claimed Ajax winning the league title was one, the Youth Cup is two, and if Rangers had got one with a mad getting some game time that would have been a, a faux treble uh, very much tongue in cheek we're clinging aren't we yeah I, I did watch that Europa League final and I did have the sense of United last season were better than both those teams and maybe I'm, I'm fooling myself there that Eintracht Frankfurt team is very well constructed and, and their route to the final was very difficult but I couldn't help shake the feeling as that game went on well, the moment Frankfurt equalised I thought I think 
I tweeted this game's going to penalties and I saw Andy liked it as well because we both had work to do and both went oh well but I did get the sense as it ebbed on to extra time as it got to penalties I just couldn't shake the feeling that United had a chance to win that last year and they didn't and it, I did feel like kicking myself a little bit I did also have that thing of realising Europa League penalties are a lot less stressful when it's not my team on the line <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> that is true Europa League competition's been brilliant this year. Uh, some huge clubs. Um, I think Rangers did so well to get to the final. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mm-hmm. have a dog in that fight. But I was so impressed looking at the stadium. It, it was a bit of a throwback. It reminded me of Rotterdam when United-Barcelona played there. You knew exactly... It was like there was no neutrals. It was all Rangers and, and Eintracht. And Eintracht have been famous this season for their away followings. And Rangers still managed to outnumber them significantly. In the stadium, and to do that from a, a league as poorly resourced as the Scottish League is a, is a huge achievement. I, I compared uh, Eintracht's revenue with Rangers last night, and it's between three and four, two, three, four, depending on the year, three times as much. So um, I, I hate penalties, I, and maybe it's because that Europa League last year. What I didn't say at the time, and I'll probably say it now, is Manchester United actually identified Villarreal's goalkeeper as the weak point in their team last year and he actually turned out to be uh, the strong point in their team last year. <laughs> he saved his weak point for when he played Liverpool this year in the semi-final so cheers for that Geronimo Rui. Um, I think that this karma will sort of work its way around again but Manchester United could be in the Europa League next year. It's not a given, we'll know that by Sunday. And I've gone from years ago looking down on you know singing Thursday night channel 5 for Liverpool who played in it um, and it's not the Champions League but it's where Manchester United are at the moment and look at some of the potential away days it's fantastic there's huge clubs in there who are, who are basically funded by the support rather than oligarchies or, or assistance from states and I'm on about Napoli Galatasaray West Ham did really well Leon did really well so I hope Manchester United get into the Europa League um, and we have fallen and you might say how the mighty have fallen but I think it's a competition well worth winning but it won't be easy as we've seen this season Barcelona were clear favourites Sevilla were in it Betis were in it the final was in the home city and uh, Rangers got there This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Well, United season comes to a close at Crystal Palace, of course, at the weekend, but we've already had a vision into next year with the news that Eric Ten Hag has arrived in the UK to begin his work as the Manchester United manager. If you've not listened to it, let me be a little bit self-indulgent. Go and listen to the last Talk of the Devils podcast, an absolutely brilliant insight into the new United boss from over in Holland. Lots of interesting detail in there and lots of thoughts about exactly how his United team might be shaped over the course of this summer. Um, But... He's here. He started work. We understand that he's got a meeting either as we're recording this or as you're listening to it later on on Thursday in London. Um, his assistant, it sounds like, Andy, has been confirmed as well now. Is that right? Yeah, Laurie um, did the story on The Athletic and it, it 
chimes with what Marcel was telling us on Monday. So I think Eric has got his man and that is far better than Eric not having his man. So I think that will be welcomed. The fact we're talking about this in mid-May is a good thing because it means that Eric can really get stuck in, which he's going to do. Uh, United are his absolute focus. He'll start working with the players at the end of June uh, for the pre-season. It's been brought forward uh, a week because of the World Cup finals. And then on the 8th of July, United fly off to uh, Thailand for the first pre-season game against a, a team called Liverpool, um, who are from a city called Liverpool. And Eric has got a huge job. He's going to need support. He's going to need help. And I think United fans are with him. Um, the, the signs I'm getting so far is a, a man who has been very honest in his opinions. I loved Marcel's chat on Monday. thought it was very informative. And I think we're predisposed to hope that he does well because if there's no hope, what's the point in even supporting your football team? There is that, yeah, very true. Uh, Mitchell van der Haag, uh, as we were told to pronounce it by Marcel on Monday, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to do that for, in fairness, but um, that is roughly how he pronounced his name correctly. Of course, he was Ten Hag's assistant at Ajax, um, and they're going to have meetings, we understand, to discuss the plans for Manchester United in the transfer market and elsewhere, Carl. How much sense do you think it makes for these meetings to be taking place in London as opposed to Carrington. Do you think that's the right thing, considering there's a match this weekend for Ralph Rangnick and the current squad to work towards? Doing it in London creates a little bit of a separation. Not quite Church v State, but it, it does let you know there's two different bodies going on. Obviously, United will be travelling down to London, probably on Friday night, Saturday morning, to, to prepare for Crystal Palace as well. We also know, you know, this is London. London is the home of international business. Uh, and uh, it's the very strange thing that it, even though I've moved to Manchester, I often find myself travelling down to London a lot more to talk to football people. I know Laurie often has to has to go down to London to talk to football agents as well because that's where that's where the agents that's where the offices are. That's that's where they do their business. That's why Manchester United have an office down in London as well. So I think doing it in the capital is okay. I think it's really interesting how much work. And how aware Ten Hag is of how much work needs to be done. So I think there's been, I, I believe there's been some talk in Dutch media about how Ten Hag isn't the, he's something of a workaholic to the point that even going on holiday with the Ajax team would have made him a bit annoyed. So even, you know, it, he seems like he's being selfless, but actually he's just sort of avoiding the party by doing United stuff. But the fact that he's so ready to, to jump into into this role at Manchester United seems quite positive. Um, I keep looking at this squad and going, that's a ridiculous amount of work you need to get done in about three weeks' time. Um, but the fact that he, he seems to want to do this already strikes me as very, very positive. I'm interested to find out what sort of new manager things Ten Hag does. Because, you know, every time there's a new football manager, we get the thing of, oh, they've banned ketchup, or, oh, they've banned switched off the Wi-Fi, or, or oh, now you have to wear suits at home games. The important yeah, stuff. Yeah, there's yeah. always one sort of colour detail. And Cristiano Ronaldo has his own version. Uh, this season where chips, yeah, with chip, where chips. no one was touching the crumble. Uh, Apple there crumble, you go. Every, it was Ronaldo. Every yeah, big entity gets their big sort of tweak. And we know that when Ten Hag was at Go Ahead Eagles, I wanted to say, he changed the front door to his office. I think he, he put in a, a window so you could see what he was doing when he was taking notes. And that was his big sort of, you can always see what I'm doing, so therefore you don't need to like 
worry or knock before you walk in. I'm really excited for yeah. Ten Hag. I'm in the same boat as Andy in that I think I'm more hopeful than expecting with Ten Hag to be a success. I, I've been on this podcast before and I think it's a great tactical mind, but also I think there is so much dysfunction at Manchester United and such a low confidence, as has been explained by Ralph Rangnick during many a press conference, that he has to build from an exceptionally low base. And, and it's good that he's starting already. Yeah, and if you want to know more about the work starting for Ten Hag and the appointment of his assistant, uh, go and read Laurie's piece on The Athletic at the minute. Uh, there's some detail in there about Steve McLaren joining the party as well. Also on there, Carl, is a piece that you've written about the shopping list that started to be written. And it's a lot more than milk and bread that's on it for, <laughs> over this summer. And you've sort of written and focused in on uh, a CDM, uh, a defensive midfielder. You mean Manchester United are going to finally sign one? Surely not. I think I've been yelling about this ever since Talk of the Devil started. Every time we mention Paul Pogba, I mention him, you know, we, he needs a defensive midfield partner. So what we've done, it, it's a little series we're going to do um, called Shopping for Ten Hag. So what I've done is I've worked very closely with Mark Carey and our data team at The Athletic. And I've said, you know, Laurie did a great piece in, I want to say, April, uh, where he said Manchester United were looking for two midfielders, a right-sided attacker and the striker. I strongly believe Manchester United should probably start looking for a right-back as well. So what we've done is we've looked at Ajax, the Ajax team on the Ten Hag. We've looked at the players Ten Hag has mostly used in those positions. And then the data team, Mark, Marum and others have shown me what those players look like at Ajax on the data. And then we've looked around Europe to find any players that are of a similar build and say, you know, if Ten Hag wants to bring Ajax-style football to Manchester United, these are the players he can look at. So we started with defensive midfielder. I'm not going to tell you who's on the list because I want you to read the piece. I will tell you yeah. who's not on the list. So Declan Rice is not on the list. Frankie de Jong is not on the list. Ruben Neves? Is not on the list. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> go and have a look at that then. Andy, just before we move on, do we expect Ten Hag to be at Sellers Park on Sunday? Yes, uh, I do. be a bit odd, wouldn't it, if he was in London and he just did one and went to like Alton Towers <laughs> rather than going to watch Manchester United. So yeah, I would, I would expect him to, um, to be there. And I, it's a big game because... Uh, Palace can still move up from 13th to 9th. There's £18 million difference in the prize money. Palace have had a, a, a good run this year. They've only lost four out of 16 matches. And I think they're pretty vengeful against Manchester United because that was Ralph Rangnick's first game. And Palace actually played well and probably should have gone ahead in that in the first uh, half. Uh, back at the time when we thought there were going to be big changes and things would improve. But fortunately, Ralph, like Holly. One of the changes he made was banned playing football, or so it seemed this season. <laughs> yes. Um, let's preview Crystal Palace then. Manchester United head into this game needing to at least match West Ham's result, who are away at Brighton. Who's got the more difficult task, Carl? It feels like this is a tricky match for United to be needing something from on the final day, even though Crystal Palace, in theory, have got nothing to play for directly. Oh, very much so. Um, so I'll be travelling down to London for this game. The matchup between United and Palace has been interesting because you know, traditionally United as the bigger club tend to want to dominate possession whereas that plays right into Crystal Palace's hands who, who like playing counter-attacking football. Uh, the work Patrick Vieira has done with Palace this season I think is remarkable. Uh, I, I recently had a look at some of the young players working at Palace and then it, it, it makes a mockery of 
managers that say, oh, we need two or three seasons to, to change a team style of play. Just how quickly Vieira's done the good work here. Um, you, this Palace team are fantastic out wide. They've now got some strength in central midfield. Conor Gallagher is the sort of old school central midfielder that Manchester United used to hark on about all the time in that you can do a bit of everything. You can't do a bit of everything very well, but the things he's good at, he's very good at and the things he's bad at, he's competent at. I think that's really good. And I think they've also got some some really interesting attacking options. At least as a Zaha, we already know is a known quantity and loves counter-attacking football. So if United go with the effort of anything that they did against Brighton, they're going to be in trouble. If they play twice as good against Brighton, they're still going to be in trouble. They need to put together a cohesive performance for more than 60 minutes, which they haven't done in a little bit if they want to get, to get a result. So we might be looking at uh, football clubs a little bit further in the Eastern Bloc than uh, the Europa League superpowers that Andy has described earlier, if the result doesn't go our way. Yeah, I think um, it could easily be a disaster at Salas Park, and I'm not saying that um, pessimistically. Let's just look at the evidence. Let's look at Manchester United's form, Crystal Palace's form. Uh, West Ham do have a tough game at Brighton. I know United found it very hard to predict how Brighton would play because Graham Potter changes tactics mid-game. And he did a number on Manchester United and that was shown by by the scoreline. Uh, I'm pleasantly surprised that the job that um, Patrick Vieira's done, I went to Nice last year when he was managing and he was floundering there. And I just thought it was another case of, you know, big name, put into a big position and, and not doing as well as expected. And... I think he's got good people around him. I think they recruit well, really play up their South Londoners, which I like. Uh, I like their ultra style fans behind the goal. I like the fact that one of their most um, senior people is based in Manchester. So you've got this uh, synergy of Manchester United doing meetings in, in London and Crystal Palace doing meetings about 300 yards from where Sir Alex Ferguson lives. But football gives us those, those little quirks. And I, I sense a club in a good place. Not as good as when United last played there on the last day of the season, 1991. Palace finished third that day, beat United 3-0, but we were all looking forward to going to Rotterdam a few days later. But I think they're on pretty solid foundations now. Um, they built a new, I think the training ground, I saw images of that, looks brilliant. I saw a fantastic video last week where, where local disabled kids, a lot of them with Down syndrome, went down to Palace's training ground to take penalties. It was just wonderful, just watching them score and the players getting involved. And I know all clubs do this, but it caught my attention and I just thought, it's it, it's a club in, in a good place. Hopefully on Sunday night, they'll be in a slightly worse place. But United need to turn up, but haven't been doing. So, you know, I, I'll go with optimism. When I click through them turnstiles in the Arthur Waite stand, I will think Manchester United are going to win. But I've said this too many times this season. Four minutes in, I won't be surprised if United are a goal down. And this is one thing the manager's got to change. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. <laughs> Right, before we go then, there's a couple more articles that we need to wrap up that you've written, Andy, that are on The Athletic at the minute. If you want to know more about either of these, go and have a look there. There's lots of great Manchester United stuff at the moment. You can tell that by how many articles we've teased already over the course of this podcast. But Neil Wood leaving the under-23s of United, just a word on him first, to go and join... Gary Neville's Salford City, a club that sacks managers in a way that Gary Neville wouldn't approve of, surely. Can't sack Neil because Neil's hard. Neil's from Stratford and Neil only <laughs> lives Neil only lives round the corner. And um, Neil grew up about 200 metres from me, so I've known him for a long, long time. And I remember him going on loan to Coventry and one of the players who knew where he was from, he's like, he's like the hardest man in the dressing room. But he's really mild-mannered. He doesn't like give it, you know, you don't look at him and think that's a Sean Dyche type character. I think he's a, a, a good person. I think he's a good coach. And if you're a, a, a hard-working young coach, clearly you've got ambitions. And to work at a club locally on your doorstep, because I know he had some other offers, uh, which were not on his doorstep, uh, to go at a club with which is well-resourced, which Salford are, then there's an opportunity there to build a project. He works with young players. Salford have been hit and miss. They've disappointed, given their budgets. They've scaled the budgets back. I think if you can have time and patience and build a project, patience, in regards to what you've said, seems um, like it's not going to happen because Salford have fired so many managers we should say as well that it's not just Gary Neville that's making these decisions I'm joking about it but it's a group of people who make these choices isn't it yeah I don't think Gary was anything to do with Neil's appointment and uh, but I do love it when Jamie Carragher basically accuses Gary (laughs) of putting people on the dole like really has a go at him so I, I wish Neil well I hope he continues to develop um, as a coach, uh, the talks haven't been completed yet. I'd fully expect it to go through. Yet another change at Manchester United. We should mention Neil Ryan going as well for a job at the FA and wish him all the best. These are people who are, are Manchester United DNA and have been there for a long time. So they will be missed. But as we saw with the, the Youth Cup win, there's, there's talented coaches there. I've got confidence in the job that Nick Cox is doing and some of the coaches around him. But... Uh, good luck, Woody. He's um he's he's, he's been good in terms of, of helping us as as journalists. 
has had a very difficult job because so many of these players in the 23s, they're not 23 or 22, they're like 17. It's really difficult because some people just judge results. But when they look at how many players he's, he's not got access to because they're on loan, because of training with the first team, COVID complicated things massively for him. First team always took priority. So go, go for it and um, you know, last longer than the last manager did. And Or the one before. Or the one before that. <laughs> uh, and finally then to finish um, we spoke about this weeks and weeks and weeks ago it's almost Lee Sharp the second uh, Frederick Vasselli you went to interview one of the few players to have played for Manchester United and Manchester City in recent years and maybe a name that not many people will know too much about I love the headline of the piece he's got a fascinating backstory which is in, in the article but leaving Man City for United Aguero's calves and what makes Harry Kane world class it's quite a tease that isn't it yeah I love the response to that article from subscribers who pay to read The Athletic and they were just like this is why we subscribe one of the reasons they subscribe because it's not someone we're not doing a story about Ronaldo here we couldn't do stories with left field figures all the time but he's got the most amazing story and he's got the intelligence to tell it this is a lad who was just about to do um, to, to study to be uh, a lawyer because he had the best school grades in his canton in Switzerland. Um, I, his parents were from Kosovo. There's a bit of war in there. It's always a good thing when you're a feature writer. Bad thing for the people involved in the war. Like played for United, played for City. Um, a good player, captain of Switzerland when they won the World Cup. You know, he's like he, he marked like Neymar out the match. He he was he had an incredible career, and then he finds himself at Port Vale. Then he then he quits football about to become a lawyer and um, nine months later he's playing in the Euros for Albania in front of 60,000 against France and in, in Marseille so this type of career is the norm in football most footballers do not reach and establish themselves at a top top club so read it if you've not read it uh, it took a lot of effort to go to see him in Salerno I think as a journalist it's important to do these things face to face and and he was he was brilliant. I really enjoyed meeting him and and his partner and his cats. I really enjoy when Andy goes out and just travels and sits down with the person and goes, "Tell me your story," because you do get the sheer baffling moments of all these football players. Something I always think. The the more I spend talking to footballers, the more I realise a lot of football isn't so much what you used to do on a, on a whiteboard, but is just getting a group of teenagers and people in their twenties from point A to point B safe and sound, making sure they're fed, making sure they're happy, making sure they've got someone to talk to in their own language. And I think Andy's interview is a proper journey about a person who, I mean, he's not, sometimes he's not known as well enough to be described as a journeyman, but he's definitely had part of a journeyman career. So yeah, Andy, great piece of work. Yep, go and have a look at that. That's on The Athletic at the minute. Right, that's it for Talk of the Devils for today. Let's hope we can enjoy the match on Sunday. Let's hope we've got a potential trip to Budapest rather than Prague to look forward to next year. But to be honest, whatever, I'm sure that'll be absolutely fine and we'll make the best of it. We're going to record on Monday after the final day, of course, to try and make sense of the season and, and what position Manchester United are in. And then later in the week, we're actually going to do a podcast which is dedicated to what Manchester United need to do this summer. 
probably going to be about three hours long, but we'll try and condense it as best we can. And we want you to be involved in that as well. So please let us know exactly the points that you want us to discuss and also the points that you want to make as well. Comment on the podcast page on the Athletic app. You can also reply to any of us who have tweeted out this podcast as well on Twitter or anywhere else to say exactly what you want us to talk about because we want you to shape it and help us to try and make sense of what this summer's going to look like for Manchester United. I think we need all the help we can get, so we'd love to hear from you. And don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But thank you to Carl, thank you to Andy, thank you to you at home, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic.